Let's, um, let's just pray. Lord Jesus, we just welcome your presence here. Father, we, we just wait in anticipation. We wait in anticipation for your coming. Lord, we, we wait in anticipation of the celebration of your first coming uh, 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. But Lord, we wait in anticipation for your second coming. And we know that you are coming, Lord. So we join with the cry of the church, Come, Lord Jesus. Come into this place. Come, Lord. We started a, um, a journey last week going through uh, Isaiah and the prophecies uh, that tie into uh, Christmas, the Advent pro- prophecies. And uh, last week we looked at Isaiah 7, uh, which is the, the one, uh, the virgin will be found with child and he shall be called Emmanuel. And uh, we looked at that one, and we discovered that the background of it is a little, little surprising. Um, uh, Israel and Aram, which is uh, modern-day Syria, are pressuring Judah to j- come into an alignment with them to fight Assyria off, and Judah doesn't want to do it. And Isaiah comes to the king of Judah, King uh, Ahaz, Uh, with a word from God, but he doesn't want the word. He already has a plan. He knows what he's going to do. He's going to align with Assyria against Israel, against Aram. But that's not God's plan. And God says, trust me. In 65 years, they'll be gone. Trust me. And, And remember what we said about Ahaz. Ahaz was like the most wicked king Judah ever had. He, he worshiped at the, he put a pagan, uh, um, altar inside the temple. He sacrificed his own children. Um, he, was, he was bad. But God still said, trust me, trust me, I will deliver you. And Ahaz said, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. And so God's response to him was, you know, if you're not going to ask me for a sign, I'll give you a sign. The virgin will be with child, and they will call him Emmanuel. And before he knows what's right and wrong, Israel Aram, they'll be gone. And so we see later that Isaiah uh, marries a virgin. She has a baby through him in natural means. And that's the sign. That's the sign. But Matthew picks up on this, and we talked about how to look at the prophetic. When we look at the, the books of the prophetic, we realize that we need to read them on multiple levels. There's the word that is being said to the person at that time, at that place, and it has a meaning for that time and for that place. But um, there's also a kingdom view that the prophet has. And I kind of painted it the picture of like being in the mountains, being in Colorado, where you can see the mountains in the distance and you can see the snow in the distance. uh, But there's also stuff happening right here. And so the prophet is seeing both ways. He's seeing what's happening here, but he's also seeing off in the distance. So the words can have multiple meanings, multiple levels of interpretation. And Matthew sees this and pulls that in and says, just as Isaiah spoke to Ahaz and gave him that warning, that word, that same word comes into fulfillment through the birth of Christ. And he ties the two together. And we saw that. God is with us. And it kind of landed us in that same question. Who do we trust? Who do we trust? 
Who do we trust? Now that's an interesting question for us, and uh, today we're going to continue in that vein. Um, and Isaiah is going to zoom in a little bit more into some of this picture as we continue into chapter 8. Um, he's going to zoom in uh, closer. And that's one of the things about the prophetic. Um, sometimes the prophetic is like the camera in the back that we're recording on. You can set it for a wide angle. And when we used to stream and we do worship, we'd have it on a wide angle to get the whole stage. But then you could also zoom it in. And you can zoom it in to a couple of people. And you can zoom it in to a single person. And, and that camera up there, if I'm not mistaken, we can zoom that bad boy in to just take a, a close look at the mark that's on one of these, uh, one of these little uh, nativity statuettes. And so that's what happens sometimes in the prophetic. It starts with a wide-angle lens, and then he starts zooming in and zooming in and zooming in. And that's what Isaiah is going to do today as we look at this. So we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 8, uh, continuing from where we left off last week. Uh, remember, Isaiah said, 65 years, Israel will be gone, Aram will be gone, it will all be gone. And we're about to see the fulfillment of that prop, uh, prophecy. And we can see uh, it beginning in verse 5. And Isaiah says this, The Lord spoke to me again, Because this people has, re have, uh, has rejected the gentle flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Rezin and the son of uh, Ramelah, therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty flood waters of the Euphrates. The king of Assyria, with all his pomp, will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land, Emmanuel. Now, uh, oh, raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. There's an interesting picture here, and we've got to kind of dig it in to fully understand what he's getting at. Uh, Isaiah opens up with this picture of judgment against Israel, against Judah. And he, he paints this picture, he starts with the gentle flowing waters of the Shiloh. And we hear that, and we're not exactly sure what he's talking about. But what he's painting is this picture of how Jerusalem got water. There was a spring, and it was a gentle spring, and sometimes it, it, it filled, and other times it didn't, but it was a very gentle stream uh, um, that came into Jerusalem and, and provided water for Jerusalem. And the Lord is saying, you've rejected that, and the picture is, you've rejected the provision that God has given you, you've rejected the, the promise um, of, of the line of David, the deliverance that will come to you. You've rejected that. And instead, you're focusing on the king of Israel. You're focusing on the king of, of Aram. You're focusing on the river Euphrates, which is running through Assyria. And the river Euphrates, in comparison to this, this, this stream, this spring, is a massive, quickly flowing river. And he's looking at them, and he's saying, you are rejecting the gentle move of the Lord for this massive move. 
of the Euphrates instead. You're rejecting what the Lord is doing and you're focusing on what Assyria is doing. Judah, you'd rather have the protection of, of Assyria, of this massive river, than what the provision of the Lord is. And so the Lord says, fine, I'm going to give it to you. Not only will you get the Euphrates, not only will you get Assyria, but it will be so much that it will flood over you. It will completely destroy everything around you. You're going to get it, and you're going to get more than you expect. It will overpower you. And then God gives Isaiah a warning in the midst of that. And he says this in verse 11. This is what the Lord says to me with a strong hand upon me. The warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. Uh, he will be. A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up this testimony of warning and seal, it, seal up God's instructions among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. I, I love that verse in 18 because it points back to that beginning part of last week where your child will be a sign to them of what's about to happen. And Isaiah at 18, this is how we kind of connect the dots. Isaiah is saying, it's me and it's my children are going to be a sign to the nation that God is with them, that his promise is there. But before that, there's going to be this tremendous move this is not just about a defeat of Israel and Judah to their enemies. This is total destruction. This is them getting wiped, especially Israel, off the face of the earth. And, and that story is what happened. 65 years later, uh, there was pressure that was put on Judah. Uh, Israel had fallen. Aram had fallen. And now Assyria is on the, right in front of the walls of Jerusalem. And the king of Judea at the time is King Hezekiah, who is considered to be a righteous king. And they're threatening him. And the army of Assyria is at the walls. And they're screaming at the people and at the king. Just surrender to us now. Put your trust in us now. We will give you good lands to live in. We'll put you in good places. But if you don't, we will wipe you off the face of the earth. We will destroy you. It's a very dark time for Judah. It's a very dark time for Jerusalem, and it appears that night is falling upon them, that everything has come to an end, because for all practical purposes, there's no way tiny Judah can beat Assyria. It's impossible. It will not happen. And as they enter into that place of hopelessness, that place of darkness, their temptation is to turn and move their trust to other places. Their temptation is to say, you know what, if we just surrender to Assyria, we lose Jerusalem, we lose our nation, but we at least hold on to our lives. It makes sense, it's logical. Or, you know, maybe if we just reach out to Egypt, Egypt can come and they can save us from this threat. 
And here's the same thing. We do the same thing. We do it now. We put our trusts in the things that we can control, or at least the things we feel that we can control. Advice comes from all around us, telling us what to do. And we put our trust in them. And that's what's happening today. The, the church seems to be being pushed from one extreme to another. And when we break it down, we're, we're being driven by fear. Fear of illness, fear of losing our rights, fear of being contaminated, fear of, of, of political consequences. There's fear, 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 fear. And all of that fear gets wrapped up in, in spiritual language, sometimes even prophetic language. And it's not done to booster our faith. It's not done to point us to Jesus or to God. It's usually done to point us to somewhere else, to somebody else who can deliver us. And this isn't a criticism of the left or of the right. This is a criticism of both sides. Because our Savior, usually when, when we're being screamed at on the way to do it, is never Jesus. It's somebody or something else. There's a warning for us about times like this. We see that in verse 19. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritualists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instructions and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upwards will curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. In our fear, in our distress, in our hunger, we move away from God. We move our trust away from God and we move into a deeper darkness. We forget the promises of God. We forget what the Word says. Remember, God's promise in chapter 7, verse 18. Emmanuel, God is with us. Even in the midst of all of this, God is with us. But that promise is like the springs of Shiloh. There is something that we either miss or we underestimate. We don't give God the credit that He can do something, that He can move in the midst of us, that He can do tremendous things in the situations that are happening around us. We want something flashy. We want something powerful. We want the focus on the mighty Euphrates River that we can know can wipe all of this out. And that just leads us deeper and deeper into despair. The things that we place our trust in other than God start to fall apart around us. When that happens, we start living in denial. I, I, I love how he opens this up. Do not call conspiracy what God has not called conspiracy. You, you know where conspiracy theories come out? They come out of a sense of hopelessness. You need to explain this hopeless situation that you're in. You don't want to take... You know, uh, you don't want to take uh, ownership of the problem, so it's something else, and you come up with a theory. 
to try to make sense of it, no matter how crazy, insane, or, or wrong it is. And you just embrace it, and you move closer and closer to it. And as you press towards those things, you move farther away from God. And honestly, that's where we are right now. That's where we are right now at this moment in our country, in the church in, in the West. We are fighting against one another. We are calling each other out. We are cursing each other. And we are moving closer and closer into darkness because we are no longer trusting on the, on the gently flowing spring of Shiloh of our Lord. We're focusing on something that's bigger that will be able to take care of it because we're not sure we can truly trust God in the midst of all of this. But something changes. Chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Nephitali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke and the burden, and uh, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, for be, uh, will be the fuel for fire. God begins to paint this picture. The land of Zebulun, the land of Nephetal. This is the runover portion of Israel. These are the ten tribes that left. The northernmost tribes that dealt with the most destruction when Assyria came in. In the place of greatest darkness, in the place of greatest despair, a light will shine. A hope will come. And from here on, Isaiah will begin to focus the camera lens. He'll zoom it in more to what God's about to do. And we're going to see this in the lens of Christmas, because this all should sound familiar at this point. There will be a light in the darkness in the midst of despair and darkness, God will shine a light. He will bring joy. And that joy will be like those who are rejoicing during a harvest. Be, uh, be like the joy of those who receive plunder. Mind you, this is the area that has been plundered. This is the area where there is no harvest. There will be a direct reversal of fortune. Those who were plundered will rejoice like those who have done the plundering. There will be a complete defeat of Assyria. But not just that, there will be a sense of freedom that they have never experienced. Notice what he says. The yoke, the bar, the rod, they'll all be removed. Freedom from slavery. And not just freedom from slavery, but a time of complete peace. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning time of peace. Now, this is the hope of Christmas. That God is going to bring a light to us in the midst of the darkness 
that he's going to bring joy, that he's going to bring a reversal of fortune, that he's going to bring freedom. And in the midst of this Christmas, as we've been in this battle for two years, we have that same sense as we're still fighting the darkness, this sense that one day God is going to bring a light, a light in the midst of that darkness, that he's going to break off the yokes of oppression, that he's going to break off the fear that has paralyzed us. That is our hope this season. But what does that hope look like? Well, Isaiah is going to turn the lens and focus it in a little more. I joked with Cindy I was going to sing this part, but I won't. Verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. A king is coming. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be in charge of everything. He will control everything. He will be a wonderful counselor. Uh, He'll be able to to provide counsel in relation to God. Think about who Jesus was. He was with God at creation. He understands all, and therefore He can give us wonderful counsel on how to live, on how to move, on how to act. Not only would just be a king, He will be the mighty God. He will bring God's reign and rule to the earth. Not just a representative of God, not just a prophet of God, but the true rule and reign of God. He will bring forth. He will be an everlasting father to us. Those of us who are his sons and daughters, he brings the new covenant. And and therefore, he gives the the rights of sonship, of daughtership, not, not just of a servant but someone who is part of the family. He will bring, bring the, he'll be the pe- uh, Prince of Peace. He will bring peace to the world. He'll bring justice. And his government will never end. None of his will will be left at, behind or left out. We will have permanent security and ever increase. This will be one of David's own sons keeping God's promise. He will rule with justice and righteousness. Sometimes I don't think we fully understand what justice means. But there will be justice on the earth for everyone. And his rule will be righteous. It will be right. And it will last forever. And this is going to be done because God wants it done. Not because we want it done, but because He wants it done. That's the promise. That's the promise that we celebrate during Christmas. That the one who came, Jesus, is the one who brings light to the world. The one who came, who who ushers in the kingdom of God, who ushers in God's rule and right, or rule and reign into this world. That's the promise. That's the hope of Christmas. 
you guys know why we put Christmas lights everywhere at Christmas time? Do you know why we do it? You know, it's, it's become so, so, I don't know what, commercialized isn't the right word. It's a production now, right? There's TV shows about who, who does the greatest light show, and, and we go places, and we look at the lights and all. Do you know why we do this? Because we're, we're about at, if we haven't passed, I, I miss my dates, the first day of winter. This is the longest, the shortest day of the year or the longest night of the year. This is the deepest part of darkness. And Isaiah says a light will come in the midst of the darkness. So we put lights up to celebrate that, the fact that in the midst of the darkest time of the year, a light will shine. And those lights that we put up, those lights represent Christ. So when you're watching the shows on, on, on TV about who has the biggest and most obnoxious um, uh, light shows in their houses, remember, it's not about the show, it's about the light. And can you imagine, if you can see those light shows from space, imagine what the light of Christ looks like. So as we come closer to Christmas, it causes us uh, to ask a quick question. Where are we actually placing our hope? Look, we can treat this as an academic exercise, right? We can go through this, and we can look at the Hebrew, and we can break this thing down and see it, how it ties into the New Testament and really make this a fun academic exercise for those of us who think that way. But I think God is demanding something more from us. Look, we live in a time of fear, a time of darkness. We live in a time where, where people are trying to get your attention to move you in certain directions, and most of that is motivated out of fear about what you will lose, about illness, about whatever. And just like the people in Isaiah's time, we deal with the same temptations. Where does our hope come from? Where does our help come from? Do we act as a people who have seen a great light, or do we turn to the temptations that are around us? You know, even though we're, we're treating this as an Advent journey towards Christmas, we are a people who have already seen who have already experienced Jesus. But do we treat Him as a wonderful counselor? Do we trust in His counsel? Or do we search for counsel from other places, from other sources? Do we trust the Word? Or do we trust the Internet? What's more important? Do we treat Him as a mighty God, accepting His reign and rule in our life? Or is it about controlling our life in some other way, about keeping control over everything? Do we treat Him as an everlasting Father, living in His love as sons and daughters, accepting our rights as sons and daughters? Or do we live as someone who is estranged from their Father? Yeah, we know who He is, but He's over there. Do we live as if He's the Prince of Peace, knowing that He can bring peace into our lives, that He can bring peace into any situation that we're in the midst of? Or do we prefer to live in fear, do we prefer to live in darkness? Do we prefer to live in bondage and chaos? We say we don't want to, but good Lord, many of us, we really, if we're honest, prefer to live there. The call for us this Christmas season is to choose. Who do we follow? 
Who do we put our trust in? And for me, as I look at this, it feels like we're living in the time of Hezekiah. For him, the trouble was Assyria. They were sitting at the walls. They were threatening. For us, it's political, social, racial, environmental, COVID unrest. It's just general unrest. That's all around us. For Hezekiah, the army at the wall challenged him. Can you really trust God? That was the threat that was given from the army. Can you really trust your God to deliver you? Because none of the other gods of the nations delivered them from the king of Assyria. Why do you think your God will deliver you from the king of Assyria? That sound familiar? That discussion occurred in the open. And the plan was for the, the, the page who was screaming up to the wall not to necessarily affect the king or the leaders, but to affect the hearts and the minds of the people to move away from their God. And that's the same that's happening with us. Words of fear are coming from both sides, demanding us to follow, to move our trust away from God. But here's the interesting part. Years later, who's with Hezekiah? It's 65 years later. Who's with Hezekiah standing next to him? It's Isaiah. Hezekiah is praying earnestly. He's begging God for wisdom, for help, for direction. And then Isaiah shows up in the room and he reminds him of God's promise. We see this in 2 Kings. Verse 19. Isaiah gives him this huge word. Um, I'm sorry, 2 Kings uh, chapter 19. He gives him this huge word, and then he says this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter the city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with a shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. I will defend the city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. That's the same word he gave 65 years earlier. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Senebach, the king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. When they woke up, I love how it's written, when they woke up, dash, all the dead bodies. Judah did nothing to defend themselves except put their hope and their trust in the Lord. It's an interesting picture. Because the promises that we're reading in Isaiah 8, we see fulfilled here. But not only do we see them fulfilled here, but we see them fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. Because that is who the Wonderful Counselor is. That is who the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father is. And we can just stay there and, and treat this as a Christmas song. And we can gather and we can sing Handel's Messiah if we have the 
gumption. One of these days I will do that. Or we can realize that, that not only is Isaiah seeing the issue in front of him, not only is he seeing the mountain that is Jesus past that, but he's seeing the mountain where we live right now. In this Christmas season, the, the question is really simple. Who is our trust in? Who is our trust in? Because we are a people who have seen a great light. We should live like a people who have seen a great light. Judah's deliverance didn't come from their own might. It didn't come from their own understanding. It didn't come from their own wisdom. It didn't come from their own military or their, their, their own ability to, uh, uh, to be clever. Judah's deliverance came solely from the Lord. And as we look at the season we are in now, our deliverance will never come from our might. It will never come from our strength. It will never come from a, a political position. It will never come from our own logic, our own cleverness. It will never come from any of those places. It will come from the Lord. So who do we put our trust in in the midst of this? Maybe we should begin to live like a people who have actually seen the light. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your promise. We thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your first coming. We thank you that you were a light to the world. But Lord, not only you were a light to the world 2,000 years ago, you are a light to the world today. Lord, I just ask, uh, Lord, as many of us are being bombarded by fear, by anxiety, by confusion, by division, Lord, I just ask right now, uh, we just we cry out to you as Hezekiah cried out to you, Lord. Uh, Lord, come and deliver us. Come and save us. Lord, allow us to live as a people who have seen a great light. Allow us to live as a people who put our hope and our trust in you and you alone. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer today, just feel free. Uh, come up or turn to the person next to you and just say, I need prayer. You get prayer. Otherwise, um, have a great week. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness. May he protect you in the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders that he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Have a great week. If you need prayer, come up. Otherwise, we'll see you all next week. Amen.